Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. We are on episode 38, which is going to be for September 23rd through 29, and we are studying the book of Galatians today. The title of the lesson in Come Follow Me is Walk in the Spirit. We are going to be talking all about um, being free in Christ. We're going to talk about walking in the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, all that different stuff today. But first... I want to kind of sister frizzle it up. And for those of you who are new to the podcast, who have not been here for my sister frizzle episodes, um, this is where we kind of take a magic school bus field trip. I call it my magic scripture bus, but we take a magic scripture bus field trip um, into the ancient area of where we are studying the scriptures this week. So we are going to go visit Galatia. So here we go. Where is Galatia? What is it? You know, why are we studying it? Why is it important? Now you can find a lot of this out if you do just like a quick Google search. Um, a lot of different things come up. But it's interesting because the book of Galatians is actually has some controversy surrounding it of like when it was written, who actually wrote it, did Paul write it himself, did he have it transcribed, you know, did he have help writing it, and where was Galatia? They're really not sure. So I went to, you know, a secure source because I like going to gospel sources when there's lots of controversy surrounding things. So I went to churchofjesuschrist.org and just did a quick search for Galatians to see what came up. From the New Testament Student Manual for Institute, it has, who were the Galatians and why did Paul write to them? Okay, so Galatia was a region in North Central Asia Minor, so kind of like the area that we know as Turkey today. Their population had immigrated from Western Europe, modern France, so it was the Gauls. Um, they also had some Celtic influence as well. Paul visited cities in Galatia on his second and third missionary journeys. And while some scholars think that Galatians was addressed to saints in those cities specifically, um, other scholars think that Paul may have been writing to the saints in cities that he visited on his first missionary journey, cities such as Lystra, Iconium, Derbe, Antioch. These cities, with the exception of Iconium, were part of the Roman province of Galatia. Why this is important is because there was another area there in the ancient world known as Galatia, but we think that the Galatians that Paul is writing to is the Roman Galatia, which makes sense to me. I totally get that. Paul wrote to the saints in Galatia. He was deeply concerned because they were straying from the Lord by following teachings of some who sought to pervert the gospel, which we see in Galatians 1, 6 through 7. Details in the letter make clear that these people were Jewish Christians who were teaching Gentile Christians the false doctrine that they had to be circumcised and observe the ritual requirements of the law of Moses in order to be saved. Now, this is also, there are several clues in Galatians that show that it was an earlier epistle. Remember, the epistles of Paul are not done in chronological order. They're done in length of the actual epistle. So this was actually written probably during Paul's second, third missionary journey, and it's in a really early stage of the early Christian church. So the majority of your congregation would probably be Jewish converts. So they'd be taking a lot of the Jewish law of Moses with them and bringing that into the church. And then you have all these Gauls and the people from the Western European influence coming in with their Gentile 
Gentile traditions. And so there would be kind of like a culture clash going on. The Jewish Christians are telling these new Gentile Christians, hey, you need to come follow the law of Moses to be a good Christian. And Paul's saying, no, you don't need to follow the law of Moses. You need to follow the law of faith. And so that's kind of what he's addressing in Galatians. Paul's main purpose in writing the epistle to the Galatians was, number one, defending himself against the accusations of false teachers who opposed him because the people who were saying that they needed to follow the law of Moses were like, don't listen to Paul. You need to listen to us, right? So he's saying he's defending himself against them. Number two, he's teaching that all people, whether Jew or Gentile, are saved by the atonement of Jesus Christ by placing their faith in Jesus Christ, not by performing the works of the law of Moses. Number three, clarifying the role of the law of Moses in God's plan. Why did we have the law of Moses? Why did we have to follow it? Why do we no longer follow it? And four, distinguishing the old covenant God made through Moses and the new covenant made in Christ. And finally, five, calling upon the saints to live by the Spirit, which is where we get the title of this Come Follow Me lesson, Walk in the Spirit. So some distinctive features of the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians stands out as one of Paul's most impassioned letters. There's some sharp rebuke in there to both church members who are straying and also the false teachers who are leading them astray. To persuade the Galatians to return to the true gospel, Paul relates his own conversion story, so we get to hear a little bit about that. He appeals to the example of Abraham. And then he cites other support from Old Testament. So he's really appealing to his Jewish converts and saying, Hey guys, I was one of you once upon a time, and I totally understand where you're coming from. So let me use some stuff that you guys would find familiar. We're going to talk about Abrahamic covenant. We're going to talk about Old Testament stuff that you guys know, but we're going to apply it to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to use that to bring you to Jesus Christ, which to me is perfect because that's how God works in our lives. He takes stuff that's familiar to us. He takes stuff that's dear to our hearts that we are used to and that we love, and he helps use that to bring us unto him. So that's what Paul was doing, and I think it was really good, and it worked really well too, I believe. This is also chronologically, again, because we were not reading our epistles chronological order. So chronologically, this is the earliest work of Paul that mentions justification, and that we are not justified by the law of Moses, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul is really into this. In fact, he uses just Justified, the word justified, which can be translated as declared righteous, he uses that word more than 20 times in this letter. This epistle pretty much compares the works of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit is kind of what we're seeing going on here. Now, one of the things that I find most interesting in Galatians, because, you know, we talked last week about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Maybe not last week, maybe a couple episodes ago. Sometime recently, <laughs> it's all running together in my mind, guys, okay? But sometime recently, we talked about Paul's thorn in the flesh and how we don't really know what it was. However, there is some clues in Galatians that might tell us a little bit about what it was. If we go in and we look at Galatians 4.13, he's talking to them about when he visited them the last time, he says. We go in at Galatians 4.13, and it says, You know how through the infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. Now, if we look at what the footnotes there in infirmity, it tells us weakness or feebleness. So something in his flesh 
like in his body, was make him, making him weak or feeble. If we go into Galatians 4.14, it says, And my temptation, which was in the flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now, if we go on and we look at the footnote, the Greek word that is used there, instead of temptation, which really doesn't quite make sense in this particular verse, the Greek word that was used is trial or test. So Paul is talking about some physical trial or infirmity that he is undergoing. And then we learn a little bit more when we read into Galatians 4.15, Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and had given them to me. So he's talking about infirmity of the flesh. Something's going on with his body that's not working right. And the people in Galatia who love him would have plucked out their own eyes and given them to him. And that makes me think that there was something probably going wrong with Paul's eyes. Lots of biblical scholars have commented on this. There's lots of different theories. Um, in fact, I was actually searching for Paul blindness, you know, that kind of thing. And even in the National Library of Medicine database, PubMed, there's all these articles that come up in the scholarly medical journals today about Paul's blindness and what caused Paul's blindness, especially after his conversion. You know, he was blind for three days. And would it be medically possible? And then was there lasting impact or lasting effect that might have been his thorn in the flesh that he refers to? So I thought it was pretty cool that modern medicine is even trying to figure out, you know, this whole blindness issue that Paul had. And so it might have been a lasting effect from his being blinded right after his conversion. It also might have been a lasting effect from when he was stoned and left for dead. Um, if he got hit in the head a little or in the eyes a little bit too much, you know, I mean, there could be some kind of issue... Maybe he's not necessarily blind because he is writing, but maybe there's some eye strain going on or, you know, he's just got headaches all the time or something, migraines, I don't know. So Paul was suffering something like that. The fact that he mentions eyes makes me think it had something to do with his eyes. I don't know specifically if this is the thorn in the flesh that he refers to um, that we learned about previously or if that's something entirely different. I do know that Paul went through a lot of stuff. He was stoned, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was like lost in the ocean for like a day or so. I mean, he went through a lot of stuff, and there's only so much trauma that the human body can go through without having lasting scars and scar tissue and issues. So I would not be very surprised if, you know, yeah, he had a little bit of eye strain, headache stuff going on, but I would not be surprised if there wasn't other physical stuff going on with him as well because of all the stuff that he went through. And it would be easy for us to think that, yeah, because he was doing all this in the name of Christ, he would be healed perfectly and life would go on. But we know that's not how life works. We can be doing everything right and we can still carry scars from the thorn in the flesh, the things that we go through in this life. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, did everything right, everything perfectly, and he still carries scars in the palms of his hands of where he suffered for us. So, just because we're doing something in his name does not mean we will always come out unscathed, but we will always can be received by him. So, that is what is most important. So, I think Paul may have been carrying some after effects of some of the stuff that he went through, and that may be the thorn in the flesh. I know that was like a huge side trail. We just like totally went down this big bunny trail. But Galatians 4, 13 through 15 this week really got me kind of thinking about that. So that was a little bit about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Let's jump into Come Follow Me now. <laughs> now that we've gotten that all out of the way. Okay, so Come Follow Me says, The gospel of Jesus Christ offers freedom from spiritual bondage. This was something I was wondering about. Because when you turn to the page in the Come Follow Me manual, you've got this gorgeous picture of Christ visiting someone in jail and reaching down 
the person is kind of crumpled on the floor and he's reaching out to him. And when I first saw this picture at the beginning of the lesson, I started thinking, I'm like, I don't remember Paul being jailed while he was in Galatia or writing anything about being jailed to the Galatians. So I'm not really sure why there's this picture. And then I realized it wasn't Paul in the picture, but every one of us. And then the doctrine of Jesus Christ and his atonement is what sets us free. So that's every single one of us in that picture in jail, in prison, and Christ is reaching out to us to free us. So the gospel of Jesus Christ offers freedom from spiritual bondage. But sometimes people who have experienced the freedom of the gospel turn away from it with the desire again to be in bondage. Sometimes for us, I think it's so hard to find our own way that we fall back into familiar habits and patterns, even though we know that they're unhealthy for us. And I think that's kind of what Come Follow Me is referencing here. This is what some Galatian saints were doing. They were turning away from the liberty Christ had offered them. Paul's epistle to the Galatians then was an urgent call to come back to the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And this call is one we also need to hear and heed because while circumstances change, the struggle between freedom and bondage is constant. As Paul taught, it is not enough to be called unto liberty. We also must stand fast in it by relying upon Christ. When I first went in and read Galatians, you know, I'm reading this about, you know, the Jewish Christians and they're telling the Gentile Christians, hey, you got to follow the law of Moses to be part of this new gospel and everything. And I'm like, how silly is that? Like, why can't they just let go? Like, why can't they just let go of this law of Moses thing? Like, it was so strict and it was so hard for them. Why can they not just let go of it and just follow the law of Christ and like the law of faith? And why are they having such a hard time with this? And then I started thinking back to, you know, my own personal habits and things like that. Like, you start a new diet and you are going to do this new way of eating and you're going to eat healthy, you're going to eat whole foods and stuff like that, but then you get really stressed out or maybe you just don't have time to prepare all that healthy stuff. You immediately kind of start falling back, or at least I do, into old unhealthy habits, right? And so if I had been raised with the law of Moses from the time I was teeny tiny and that's what I knew... Yeah, I can have this great big giant epiphany about the gospel of Jesus Christ and I can have, you know, my heart converted to Jesus Christ, but it would be very easy for me when times got hard or when I struggled with my testimony to fall back into my habits of the law of Moses because it would be comfortable to me and it would be comforting to me. So I think that may be what we've got going on here. As you know, in the early church, there was lots of struggles. No one really even knew how to run a church at this point. So it'd be very easy again, to turn back to the law of Moses and use that kind of as a guide to put the church up and running. And to prove that they were right, we had several people standing up and saying, hey, Paul's wrong. We're right. We know how to run this church. We're going to follow the law of Moses. And anyone who wants to be part of the Christian church needs to follow the law of Moses too. And so I think that's what we've got going on in Galatians. The first section in Come Follow Me is from Galatians 1 through 5, and it says, The law of Christ makes me free. Paul wrote to the Galatian saints when he learned that they were being led astray by false teachings, as we've talked about, and one of the teachings was in order to be saved, the Gentiles who'd accepted the gospel needed to be circumcised to keep other traditions of the law of Moses. Paul called these traditions the yoke of bondage because they were preventing the saints from fully living the law of Christ, which brings true freedom. What do you find in Paul's counsel to the Galatians that can help you understand what true freedom is? So I thought a lot about this this week, um, and I specifically started thinking about this even a couple of weeks ago, because we had a conversation in um, Gospel Doctrine where we were talking about the freedom that Jesus Christ gives us. And the Gospel Doctrine teacher said, 
do you feel free when you're following the gospel of Jesus Christ? And my immediate gut reaction was like, yes, yes, I do. But then he started, started asking, do you feel free when you pay your tithing? Do you feel free when you follow the word of wisdom? Do you feel free when you follow the commandments? You know, there's all these different things that we have to do. Does that make you feel free? And I'm like kind of taken back for a moment. Like, what, what is he talking about? So when we start talking this week about Christ makes us free, I really wanted to study it out in my mind and to really kind of understand that concept. So I went kind of on a scripture footnote rabbit trail. I don't know if this has ever happened to you before, but you know, you pick up a scripture and you're reading it and you know, it's got all like the nice little footnotes in there. And so you click on one of those footnotes and you go to the footnote and it's got really good stuff in another scripture, but it's also got footnotes and you click on one of those and then you go to that scripture. And so you just kind of fall down like this little rabbit trail of footnotes. So I did that, but I found some really good stuff. So guys, we are going to go, I'd like to call it scriptural spelunking. Like, you know, you're going caving and you find like another little trail. So you go down that trail and then you find like another little trail and you go down that trail. So scriptural spelunking in the footnotes of our reading this week. We're going to do that. Okay, we're going to start off with Galatians 5.1, which is what Come Follow Me references. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So Paul specifically is addressing the law of Moses, the bondage that comes from the law of Moses. As we talk about these scriptures, I don't necessarily want to think of freedom as in like, you know, there's no rules or restrictions or things like that. I like to think of freedom as in like, we go back to the pre-mortal council before this life. And, you know, we have two options. We have the option to come to earth. You know, it's the option that Satan presented where we will be forced to do everything correctly. And then we have the other option, which is a savior will be presented for us. We may make mistakes. We may turn away from our father in heaven. But because a Savior is provided, we may find our way back to him again. And so, which one of those plans contains freedom? And I feel like when I read about the law of Moses and I read about the law of faith, that the law of Moses, I know it was there to prepare them for Christ, but when you take it to such an extreme, it starts to sound more and more like the adversary's plan where everyone will be forced to be perfect and forced to be right versus Christ's plan where we are given the choice. So, that's what I see when I read stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Okay, that's what it first brings to my mind. But now if we look at the footnote for free, so it's the footnote C, it takes us to 2 Nephi 2, 26 through 27. And this is what it says there. And the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. And because that they are redeemed from the fall, they have become free forever, knowing good from evil to act for themselves and not be acted upon. That's huge. Act for themselves, not be acted upon. Keep that in mind. Save it be by the punishment of the law at that great and last day, according to the commandments which God has given. Wherefore, men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man, and they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil, for he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself." Do you see, does that not like totally sound like the pre-mortal council in heaven? That sounds a whole lot like that to me. Um, also, I think that key phrase in there, to act for themselves and not be acted upon. 
when we follow Christ, we are choosing to be free. We are choosing to act for ourselves. Where I think a lot of times when we sin, we are being acted upon because we choose something and we have consequences of that. We are following Satan and I think we're being acted upon when we choose sin versus when we choose Christ, right? So that was kind of what I saw there. But again, this whole thing just smacks of, you know, Christ's plan and Satan's plan. And when we choose Christ, we choose liberty and eternal life. And that is the freedom I think I see in these scriptures versus like, hey, I can do whatever I want to. No, we have the freedom to act and not be acted upon is the freedom I think that we experience. But now if I go to free in verse 26, the footnote for free is D and that takes us to Alma 41.7. These are they that are redeemed of the Lord. Yea, and these are they that are taken out that are delivered from the endless night of darkness and thus they stand or fall for behold they are their own judges whether to do good or evil we are free to do good or evil okay another spot that the footnote d free takes us to is helaman 1430 and now remember remember my brethren that whosoever perisheth perisheth unto himself and whosoever doeth iniquity doeth unto himself for behold ye are free Ye are permitted to act for yourselves. For behold, God hath given unto you a knowledge, and he hath made you free. Another scripture that it takes us to is Mosiah 5.8. And in Mosiah 5.8 we read, And under this head you are made free, and there is no other head by where you can be made free. And there is no other name given whereby salvation cometh. Therefore I would that you should take upon you the name of Christ. All you that have entered into the covenant with God, that ye should be obedient unto the end of your lives. And then there in Mosiah 5, 8, there is free. It says there in that first line, and under this head you are made free. That footnote is A. So if we go down to the footnote A for free, it gives us Romans six fourteen, which is interesting because I see a lot of similarities between Galatians and Romans. But anyways, so we go to Romans six fourteen, and it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. And another place that that footnote for free from Mosiah takes us is Doctrine and Covenants 8886. Abide ye in the liberty wherewith ye are made free, and entangle not yourself in sin, but let your hands be clean. So I like that one because it talks about abiding in the liberty wherewith ye are made free. So once we choose Jesus Christ, we need to abide in his liberty that he gives us, um, and not entangle yourselves in sin. And so we talk a lot about being in a captivity of sin, but I think the word entangle really kind of capsulates for me what it's like to be in captivity to sin, right? You're entangled in stuff. You're entangled in things. You have consequences surrounding you that you did not intend. And sometimes it can be kind of hard to get out of, especially if you're in some sort of situation where addiction is involved, then you really are entangled in a way of life that your Savior doesn't want for you, right? And so let your hands be clean. And I love that. So it says, abide in the liberty and let your hands be clean. And that's what Jesus Christ offers us versus being entangled in sin. Okay, now if we go back up to our original Galatians 5.1, right, and we go back to that footnote of see free, it referenced three different scriptures. It referenced 2 Nephi 2.26, and that took us down a rabbit trail. It referenced Mosiah 5.8, and that took us a little bit down a rabbit trail, here into Doctrine and Covenants. And then it also referenced Alma 61.9 and 21. And this is where um, Moroni and Pahoran are riding back and forth, and Pahoran is telling him, like, hey, I know you need help. You know, we'll go on to that when we study Come Follow Me in the Book of Mormon. But the important thing here is that at the end of 
verse 9, it says, My soul standeth fast in that liberty in which God hath made us free. And I love that because he's giving credit to God for the freedom that he has. Then in 21, he's telling him to strengthen Lehi and Teancum. And he says, Tell them to fear not, for God will deliver them, yea, and also all those who stand fast in that liberty wherewith God hath made them free. And so I love that to stand fast. And I think that is the key to all of this. Once we have chosen Christ, we need to stand fast in Christ. And I think that's what the saints in Galatia were struggling with. They had chosen Christ, but they were falling back into ways that were known and comfortable to them. Now, the standing fast can sometimes be a little bit difficult. So there's actually a footnote that occurs with stand fast in Alma 61:21. It's footnote B. So we take that and it takes us to Alma 58:40 and that is but behold they have received many wounds nevertheless they stand fast in that liberty wherewith God has made us free they are strict to remember the Lord their God from day to day yea and they do observe to keep his statutes his judgments his commandments continually their faith is strong in the prophecies concerning that which is to come and i like that particular scripture right there because you know this is the interchange between Moroni and Pahoran, they're talking back and forth. And this is the one we previously read was Pahoran. Now this is Moroni talking to Pahoran. And he's saying they've received many wounds, but nevertheless they stand fast in that liberty wherewith God has made them free. And then he continues to go on to list all the things that they are doing to stand fast in the liberty that they have. He says they are strict to remember the Lord their God from day to day. They observe to keep his statutes and his judgments and his commandments continually. That to me sounds like a lot of stuff that you have to do to stay free. And so that is a huge contradiction, I think, sometimes for our our mortal minds to handle. At least for me, I was really struggling with that contradiction until I realized that the freedom that they're talking about here is not the freedom that I think of like, yeah, I can do whatever I want freedom. It's the freedom, the freedom that our Savior offers us that we can make mistakes, that we can get back up, that we can learn from those mistakes, and that we have the freedom to choose to come back to him. And hopefully we will make that choice to come back to him. And then once we do, we stand fast in that choice that we made by doing, as Moroni said, we are strict to remember the Lord God from day to day. We observe to keep his statutes and his judgments and his commandments continually. And that's how we stay free in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I hope so, because I thought about it a whole lot this week. Um, And so the questions that come follow me asks, how has Christ and his gospel made you free? And I had to think about this a lot. Um, How, and you know, you've already heard some of my thoughts on it and kind of like what I was thinking about, but specifically in my own life, it's made me free from, there have been times where I know that the grace of Jesus Christ has been with me and it's helped soothe anxiety. So it's made me free of some of my anxiety. I still have anxiety, guys. Like that that doesn't go away, but it helps kind of mitigate that a little bit. It's made me free from having to carry burdens on my own. Um, I know my Savior is there and he helps me carry burdens that I normally would not be able to carry by myself. He's there and he helps me do things that I normally wouldn't do, be able to do on my own. You know, and I don't have to worry about consequences and things like that, that if I had chosen differently, I would. Um, As a teenager, you know, I followed the word of wisdom. I followed the law of chastity. And because of that, there were all kinds of consequences that maybe some of my friends had to deal with that I didn't have to deal with. And so I saw freedom there as well. So that's kind of how Christ and his gospel has made me free, I guess. So 
There you go. Come follow me. That that's that section. Up next is a real another really interesting section. There was like all kinds of really interesting doctrine this week, which is good because I felt like some of Paul's stuff was starting to get real repetitive. So there were some new and interesting things that we could talk about this week, which I'm very grateful for. All right. So the next section in Come Follow Me is. I am an heir to the blessings promised to Abraham. And this is where Paul's going back in, talking about the Abrahamic covenant to remind the Jewish Christians, hey, look, so Abraham, he made a covenant. He knew about Jesus Christ and that was coming. And then because you guys couldn't keep yourselves together, you had the law of Moses that you had to follow to help prepare you for Jesus Christ, right? Come follow me, says, some of the Galatian saints were concerned that because they were not literal descendants of the seed of Abraham, they would not receive the blessings promised to Abraham, including those of exaltation. According to Galatians 3, 7 through 9, 13 through 14, 27 through 29, what qualifies a person to be the seed of Abraham? Well, let's find out. We'll read those. All right. Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee all nations shall be blessed. So then they which are of faith are blessed with faithful of Abraham. And then 13 through 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then 27 through 29. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And that last set of scriptures I think is probably the most important. It talks about that when we are baptized, we are baptized into the Abrahamic covenant, and we are therefore guaranteed to inherit all that Abraham was promised. Well, then the question is, what is the Abrahamic covenant, and what was Abraham promised? Well, haha, I'm so glad you asked, because we have a Bible dictionary entry that we can go to. It's called Abraham, Covenant of, which, Bible dictionary, you drive me crazy. I'm like, why could you not just put it in the seas under covenant of Abraham? But no, we are doing Abraham, Covenant of. The portions of the covenant that pertain to personal salvation and eternal increase are renewed with each individual who receives the ordinance of celestial marriage, which... That made sense to me. I remember getting married, and of course, you know, on your wedding day, you're thinking about like 10 billion other things, like what's going to go on with my reception? Is my dress okay? Is my hair okay? Like, you know, are my friends all going to be there? Like, is everyone going to be, is my family going to behave? Like, you know, you have so many things going on in your mind. Not only that, but you're like getting married, so you're like, oh, I'm a wife now. I'm, you know, you know, you're thinking about all that other stuff. And so I'm sitting there, you know, in the marriage ceremony, and the sealer who's performing it is talking about the Abraham covenant and, you know, the houses of Israel and things like that. And I'm like, I don't understand anything that you are saying. I just want to get to my wedding reception because there's going to be cake there. And, you know, like that's where my brain was at. And so, um, I didn't really pay attention to it, but I see now why he was talking about the Abrahamic covenant in a celestial marriage ceremony, because 
the portion of the covenant that pertain to personal salvation and eternal increase are renewed with each individual who receives the ordinance of celestial marriage, right? Those who are of non-Israelite lineage, commonly known as Gentiles, are adopted into the house of Israel and become heirs of the covenant and the seed of Abraham through the ordinances of the gospel. We get even more information on the Abrahamic covenant when we go to gospel topics. Again, you know I love some gospel topics on churchofjesuschrist.org. So Abrahamic covenant, which... Hello, thank you. There's no weird comma splitting up of the title there that the Bible Dictionary does, but Abrahamic Covenant. So it says, Abraham made covenants with God when he received the gospel, when he was ordained a high priest, and when he had entered into celestial marriage. In these covenants, God promised great blessings to Abraham and his family. These blessings, which extend to all of Abraham's seed, are called the Abrahamic Covenant. Among the promises made to Abraham were the following, and these are the ones that apply to us as being heirs of Abraham when we are baptized unto Christ. His posterity would be numerous. His seed or descendants would receive the gospel and bear the priesthood. Through the ministry of his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed, even with the blessings of the gospel, which are the blessings of salvation, even of life eternal. And it goes on to say, a person can receive all the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant, even if he or she is not a literal descendant of Abraham, by obeying the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And what a beautiful promise that is, and especially to someone like myself, who is not able to have literal children, biological children here in life, I have in my patriarchal blessing, it specifically states that I am promised everything that Abraham was promised, including the posterity would be numerous. So I know that I've got that promise from my father in heaven somewhere, not in this life, obviously, but somewhere in the next life, I know that that's there. So that is a huge blessing to me that comes from the covenant of Abraham. Also, it says a person can receive all blessings of the Abrahamic covenant, even if he or she is not a literal descendant of Abraham. So that is the Abrahamic covenant. There's definitely lots of resources out there, especially on the gospel topics page that you can go look at if you want to learn more about it. I think it's good to learn about the Abrahamic covenant, and I like learning about it. I don't ever really dig in too deeply about it because it's one of those things that I feel like there's lots of rabbit trails that you can go off on that one, and it can start to get weird sometimes. So I tend to say kind of surface level on that, like these are the blessings that Abraham was promised. Awesome. We can be heirs of Christ. Yes, that's good. Let's move on. Okay, so that's why we're not digging super deep into that. All right, so did Abraham have the gospel of Jesus Christ is the next section in Come Follow Me. And it says, The prophet Joseph Smith explained, We cannot believe that the ancients in all ages were so ignorant of the system of heaven, as many suppose, since all that were ever saved were saved through the power of his great plan of redemption, as much so before the coming of Christ as since. Abraham offered sacrifice, and notwithstanding this, had the gospel preached to him. The following scriptures also indicate that the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached before the Savior's mortal ministry. All right, and the first one we have is Helaman 8, 13 through 20. And we have a Nephi, one of the Nephi's. Um, not the first Nephi, but this is Nephi a couple generations removed. Um, you know, the Gadiant robbers are getting awful. They murdered a judge, and he stands up and he starts talking to everybody. But let's go specifically to Helaman 8. Let's go to 16, because he's been talking about how Moses prepared everybody for the coming of Christ. He gave the example of the flaming serpents. And in 16, he says, And now, behold, Moses did not only testify of these things, but also all the holy prophets from his days even to the days of Abraham. Yea, and behold, Abraham saw of his coming, 
meaning the Son of God, and was filled with gladness and did rejoice. Yea, and behold, I say unto you that Abraham not only knew of these things, but there were many before the days of Abraham who were called by the order of God, yea, even after the order of his Son, the Son of God, this that it should be shown unto the people a great many thousand years before his coming, that even redemption should come unto them. I think that is so cool. And this is something, you know, when I read the Book of Mormon, I'm always so astounded by the faith of these prophets and those who testify of Christ before he has even ever come. And the faith that they must have had, you know, now we know how Christ came to this earth. We know that he was born of a virgin. Her name was Mary. We know the whole story that surrounded that. We studied that this year. We know he was lifted up on a cross. We know he was crucified. We know about the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, we know the story. We know how it went down. And I have to think for these ancient prophets, they may have had bits and pieces of it. They may have more of the story than maybe even we do. I don't know what all they had revealed to them by their heavenly father, but I have to think because it had not yet happened, what kind of faith did they have to have that they knew that there was a savior coming who would fulfill the law that they were living? You know, like to me, that is just mind blowing faith. Um, to put your faith and trust that someone is coming to save you, even though you won't see it in your lifetime, and even though you're not sure how it's going to happen, someone's coming to save you. I mean, that to me is just mind-blowing faith, and I am so in awe of those who believed in Christ before he even ever came, and who believed in what he could do for them. So I love learning about this, that Abraham did know about Jesus Christ, and did know that he was coming to save him. So that was in Helaman. Also, we have Moses 650 through 66. And specifically, I want to look at Moses 652. And he said unto them, if thou wilt turn unto me and hearken unto my voice and believe and repent of all thy transgressions and be baptized even in water in the name of my only begotten son, who is full of grace and truth, which is Jesus Christ, the only name which shall be given under heaven, whereby salvation shall come unto the children of men, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, asking all things in his name, and whatsoever you ask it shall be given to you. And our father Adam spake unto the Lord, and said, Why is it that men must repent and be baptized in water? And the Lord said unto Adam, Behold, I have forgiven thee in thy transgression in the garden of Eden. Hence the saying came abroad among the people, that the Son of God hath atoned for original guilt, wherein the sins of the parents cannot be answered upon the heads of the children, for they are whole from the foundation of the world, which I mean, so now we're bringing Adam into the picture. Adam knew about Jesus Christ. And, you know, I have to think for poor Adam and Eve, you know, they're wondering, did we just put this sin upon all of our children? And what a blessing that the gospel of Jesus Christ is, the atonement of Jesus Christ to Adam and Eve to know that their sin is not upon anyone else's head. That, you know, we're not carrying it with it. We do not have original sin. The Lord took care of that. Okay, so prophets before Christ knew about Christ. That's pretty much that whole section right there. Up next, the next section is, If I walk in the Spirit, I will receive the fruit of the Spirit. Studying these verses can help you evaluate how fully you are walking in the Spirit. Are you experiencing the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in verses 22 through 23? What other fruit or results of spiritual living have you noticed? Ponder what you need to do to cultivate this fruit more fully. How might cultivating this fruit improve the important relationships in your life? And I started thinking about this this week. Specifically, we're in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. And it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, 
meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And I started thinking about this because I'm like, I find sometimes I get so wrapped up in all the things I have to do. I have to make sure my house is clean. I have to make dinner. I have to do laundry. I have to, you know, do all stuff for work. I have to make sure my family's happy. I have to do this and this and this. Like, I mean, I just have to do like all this stuff. That's part of, you know, being a mom. It's part of being a wife. It's part of being a member of, you know, my family. It's part of being a member of the church. It's part of being, you know, a librarian there at my school. I have all these things that I need to do. And sometimes I get so stressed out by all the things that I'm doing that I lose the fruit of the spirit. I lose the love and the joy and the peace and the long suffering and the gentleness and the goodness and the faith, the meekness and the temperance. I lose that because I get so wrapped up in all the things I have to do. It reminds me of Mary and Martha and Mary has chosen the better part. And I was actually even thinking this morning about it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the weekend. I have so much I have to do. So much laundry. So much laundry, guys. Like, I have a laundry mountain living in my family room. And, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about this, like, just, oh. And it's making me angry because I'm like, why am I not getting any help on this? And I have to do so much work. And I'm like, Lexi, this is not the fruit of the spirit that you are feeling right now. Like, this is not the fruit of the spirit. I started thinking back to something someone told me once upon a time. And they told me, you know, Lexi, towels work just as well fresh out of the laundry basket as they do when they're folded and put away in a closet. And the whole meaning behind that is choose the better part. Is the better part for me to get all stressed out about making sure all the towels are folded and put away? Or is the better part spending time with my family, you know, and having wrinkled towels that we can use throughout the week just straight out of the, you know, clean laundry basket? You know, like, do you, do you get what I'm saying? Like, do we worry about stuff that is unimportant and get stressed out about stuff that is unimportant so that we lose the important stuff, which is the fruit of the spirit? I think I do. And I think, honestly, this week has been really tough for me for that. I think I've been focusing entirely too much on stuff that is unimportant and I've been missing out on stuff that is important and I need to be changing my view on things. Um, this was a really stressful week. It was a big long week on the struggle bus. Um, I like to call it the struggle bus. Just one thing after another. It was just hard and I felt alone and I felt like this was just really stressful and I was having to deal with all these other things that I didn't need to deal with and I didn't need this right now, Heavenly Father. And I realized, you know, because a lot of it centered around work, um, that I had a lot of stuff going on at work. And I realized that when I was so worried about all these different programs and things that I needed to be doing, I wasn't looking at the faces of the kids that I serve. And when I stopped and I looked at their sweet little faces and I realized how much my father in heaven loved them, I remembered why I'm doing all this. I remembered who I am serving and what purpose I have in serving and being my father's hands in the lives of these children who may not experience his love any other way. And that all of a sudden brings everything into crystal clarity. What is important? Is it all these programs and stuff that I'm worrying about? What can I cut out of there that really doesn't matter in the end? What do, is most important to serve these kids and to help them feel loved and to help them feel confident in who they are and to help them grow into the people that our Father in Heaven wants them to be? You know, that then is the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. And it's joy in seeing their progress. It's peace because I know I'm doing the right thing for them. It's long-suffering and gentleness, being gentle with them instead of being snappy because of all the things I think I have to do for them. It's goodness and it's faith. It's meekness and it's temperance. 
right? That's walking in the spirit. I think a lot of times we talk about when we get burned out, it's because we forgot our why. Why are we serving in the church? Why are we in the particular job we're in? Why are we serving in our calling? Why are we trying to be a good mom? Why are we trying to be a good wife? And the answer it all comes down to is love. And when you remember love is your why, it helps you focus on what matters most. And in a world where we constantly feel like we have to be doing more, 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 I think we really need to sometimes, you know, and I say this like I'm lecturing you guys, but please know that I really am lecturing myself. I think I really sometimes have to sit down and reprioritize all the burdens I place on myself and say, Lexi, which ones are most important? Which ones are so important that I need to place my focus on and which ones are less important? Maybe they still need to get done, but if something needs to get done and it has to be done, but it's not that important, it can be done badly. Do you understand what I'm saying? Towels can be crumpled and thrown in the closet and everyone will survive, right? Dinner can be macaroni and cheese and hot dogs and everyone will survive, right? But they're still fed, you know, mission accomplished at the end of the day. So that's kind of what I was seeing in my own life is I need to simplify. I need to choose more Mary stuff and less Martha stuff. And then when I choose the more Mary part of things, then I tend to see the fruit of the spirit more in my life, if that makes sense. So that's kind of my experience with the fruit of the spirit this week. Finally, I want to talk about this final section in Come Follow Me where it says, perhaps you're trying to walk in the spirit, but it doesn't seem like your efforts are bearing the promised fruit. Read Galatians 6, 7 through 10, often referred to as the law of the harvest. And what message do you feel the Lord has for you in these verses? How could you use these verses to encourage someone who is struggling in the gospel? And I definitely wanted to address this because I know several people who are struggling in the gospel right now, and I hope they're listening. But Galatians 6, 7 through 10, whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. But he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And I think that the key to all this is there in verse 9, in due season. A lot of times, I think, especially when we are struggling in the church, we're doing everything right. We're doing everything we need to do. We're going down the checklist, right? But maybe we're just not feeling it. You know, we're doing everything we know we should do, but for whatever reason, the light of our testimony has gone out. It feels like heaven's been closed. In due time and in due season it'll light back up again. I talked about this in a previous episode about Michael McLean and his crisis of faith and how, you know, he came back to the church. I think all of us have times in our lives where our testimonies dip and maybe we don't feel quite as close to our heavenly father as we have previously. I think it's important to hold on to the promises that we have had before in our life, the spiritual experiences that we have had previously, and let those spiritual experiences and the faith that we have in our Savior carry us through those times where our testimony goes a little bit dark. Don't be weary in well-doing, for in a due season we shall reap if we faint not. If we do not turn away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, those lights will come back on, and we will feel the spirit of our Savior again in our lives one day, and I believe that firmly. Um, I've definitely definitely been through times in my life where I felt like my testimony wasn't quite as strong and I've wondered where my father in heaven is because he certainly didn't feel like he was with me. I now know looking back that he was with me the entire time, but I also know that we have a father in heaven who loves us enough that he lets us struggle at things because struggling is how we get stronger and it's how we make progress. And sometimes I think he lets us feel like he's left us on our own because we become stronger as we take those steps on our own. You know, it's the difference between a parent holding up a little toddler's hand and letting the toddler walk with them 
versus letting go of those hands and letting the toddler walk on their own. You know, that first couple of steps that the toddler's making, it's really scary for them. Like they're they're like, parent, where did you go? Where did your hands go? Like, I, uh, you know, it's, it's got to be really scary for them. But because they take those first few steps on their own, they can walk. And of course, the parent's going to come back and he's going to hold their hand many times again during their lives. It's just at that point, they needed to take those steps on their own. And I think sometimes in our life, when we feel like God has removed himself, he's still there. He's still there with his arms outstretched, waiting for us to take those steps into his arms. But for whatever reason in that season in our life, we have to take those steps feeling like we're alone. And so he's still there, but those steps are us balancing on our own and balancing on the knowledge that we've gained this far in our life and balancing on what we know to be true, even if we're not feeling like our testimony is there. Does that make sense? I hope so. I know that there's lots of people struggling with that. Please hold on. I mean, if you are struggling with your testimony of the gospel, please hold on. Please find those things in your testimony that make sense to you. Find the bare minimum of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do you believe in? Just your Savior. If all you can do is focus and believe on your Savior, then the other stuff will come. Just focus on Him and let Him bring you to the truth. Guys, thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I learned a lot this week about the Abrahamic Covenant and Galatia and Galatians and freedom. I learned a lot about freedom. So um, thank you for hanging out with me. And I hope you guys have an awesome week. Keep reading your scriptures and I will see you here next time. Bye y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.